last night. So, um, our dear brother Norm, who pastors out in the, the Dalles, Oregon, will be coming up to speak to us first. Well, good evening. It's once again a joy to be with you. I have so greatly appreciated the hospitality from you, your pastor and his wife. It's been a joy to be with Brother Joe and, and Brother Jean-Claude and to get to know Tanner and your pastor and I. goes without saying, we just, uh, we've had a good time. I would ask that you would remember us out in the Dalles. I would ask you to come visit. I only ask one thing, if you do. When you call up and say you're coming, please remind me where I met you. <laughs> and your names. It didn't used to be so bad, but it is getting that way. I would ask you tonight to turn to the gospel according to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus was a blessed book in our study, and I, I uh, was saddened to come to the close of our study. Someday we'll go back there. But it was so enlightening. I shared with the folks out there that for years the book of Leviticus was a flyover book. When you're reading through the Bible, you come to Leviticus, you fly over it very quickly because it didn't appear that there was much there. And I read a book that said the book of Leviticus was written to sinners. And me being a sinner, I wanted to go find out what that book was about. So we spent some time doing it. The book of Leviticus starts off with five different sacrifices, probably not very often offered because sinners only were to offer those, and they're very difficult to find. A sinner is a sacred thing. God hath made him thus. There are a lot of people that are uh, so sorry they got caught. Uh, they'll never do it again. But when it comes to a true sinner, they're a gift of God. God must make us that. We must, we'll only truly know what we are after we've been regenerated. Then you shall know is what we find in the book of Ezekiel. In a lot of the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, we find much said about depravity. I appreciated what was said last night, sinfulness, because it's going to fit right into his lesson for tonight, or his message for tonight. But the depravity of man, and our bodies confess, whether our mouths do, that we have fallen in Adam, it got so, as I was going through, if you have a pimple, that's a sign of the fall. If you have an ache or a pain, you have a boil, a blister, you lose your hair, your hair turns gray. Those are all signs of the fall. They're our body telling us that what God said about the fall is absolutely the truth, whether our heart or our mouth want to confess it. That is the truth. We come to chapter 25, and we have that wonderful chapter about the year of Jubilee. 
Dr. Hawker said, and I wish I could have found his quote, but just kind of adding lib or putting it into today, he said, wasn't it something that a slave, a person who had been put in slavery, when he heard the sound of those trumpets, those horn trumpets, only heard once every 50 years, that person knew by the sound of that horn that they were now set free. Didn't happen very often. Some people might have heard it twice in their life, but it didn't happen very often. But when it happened, things were put back as they once were, and we find that that year of jubilee for us is summed up by the psalmist when he said, Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. How blessed God's people are to know the sound of redemption, the sound of the Redeemer, to know what it is to be ransomed, to be purchased back. All of those words have to do with the condition that we're in. To be ransomed means that we were in slavery and we were bought out of slavery. They all have to do with the condition we're in. And the Redeemer is the person who does the buying. And the redeemed are the people who are bought back. And those terms are brought out so clearly here in the book of Leviticus, and particularly in chapter 25. In chapter 26, we have the results of redemption. First four verses of this chapter. Now, there are a lot of people, and I was one of them, that believed when I read these, if I had read these, similar ones are found in other places, I would have said, I'm doing the best job I can to keep these, and someday I hope to have them accomplished. People have said that all the way through this existence of the world. Just read with me Leviticus chapter 26, verse 1, 2, 3, and 4. Ye shall make no idols nor graven image, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall you set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto the it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. And if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will. And we're going to stop right there, and we want to pick up a couple of those verses that share the I will that God does here. But most of us in our religious life spend a lot of time trying to keep those verses of Scripture, trying to keep idols out of our life and trying to have our Sabbaths and everything. And it is only in redemption, the redemption that God has, the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the ransomed ones that he buys back, and that is called the church. They're the only ones that understand that they cannot keep these verses, and there has to be someone else keep them for us. The Lord is our Sabbath. The worst of all idols is not some stone idol down on the Easter Island. The worst of all idols is not some Buddha in some uh, uh, restaurant. There in the Dalles, we have a wonderful Chinese restaurant, and there are people that will not go in there because they walk in and they see this big golden Buddha. It's just a piece of stone. It didn't affect the food at all. The food is good. The price is wonderful. And the amount, you can't eat it all. So I go there, but people won't go there because there is that idol there. You know, the worst idol of all 
is being pronounced throughout this world by men and women and particularly preachers in pulpits. The worst idol of all is the idol of free will. That is the worst. That you on your own can get yourself out of the condition that you're in and that is a bold-faced lie. Our idols have been taken care of the Lord, by the Lord. He tells us in the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, that you have turned to God from worshiping dumb idols. Thank God he's the one that does that, because left on our own, even now, we'd go find something. But God is our object of worship. The Lord is our object of worship. And it goes on down there and talks about Sabbath. He is our Sabbath. When he said from the cross so many years ago and still rings in the ears of the church today, it is finished. The church says, hallelujah. His work is finished and I don't have to work. Work is impossible anyway. It never accomplished anything. But when he said it is finished, he said, all the work is complete. Redemption is complete. And now I will go about From that point on, he's taken care of it from all the people behind that. When he brought them regeneration, just like he does now in this day and time, but from that day forward, he said, I will become their rest when I regenerate them and they are caused to rest on me. How joyful it is to rest in Christ, to realize that he has done everything that God required, and that he has fulfilled every requirement that God has ever requested. The request is, be ye holy as I am holy. And you and I cannot do that. We commit enough right here in a religious setting to send us to a devil's hell. Our mind wanders, goes off towards Lukey and everything else. We come up with all kinds of things, and yet the Lord said, I'm your Sabbath. I've taken care of your idols. Be at rest. Be at rest. Well, in chapter 26 and verse 4, we have some wonderful things, the blessings of redemption. These are much like those passages of Scripture in the New Testament that share with us all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. In this passage of Scripture, down through verse 14, he goes through a list of things that he, I will do this. Now we find that a number of times through the Old Testament, the things that God will do on the behalf of his people. And we rejoice in those because they're unable on our part to do them, but he is able to do them and to do them greatly. With no effort, he is able to do that. God is God, and beside him there is none else. He is able in his own power to keep the word that he said he will keep. We are so frail, and we are so weak, that when we even promise to do something, many times we're unable just to keep it, because we don't have the power to keep it. But God has said everything he has said. He said, I will keep. I will keep every promise that I have made. And he's doing it. And one of those is, I will give you rain in due season. 
and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Now, when we put that into spiritual context, we certainly see some really rich blessings that God gives to us. But would you turn with me ahead just a little bit to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 11? Deuteronomy chapter 11, Moses, again, as he is the secretary for God, we hear so often that Moses wrote this book. He wrote it because he was the secretary. Holy Spirit, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They're the secretaries of God. And they wrote it down like God told them to write it down. They didn't have any latitude in this. Write it down. He didn't ask them to give their thoughts. He said, take pen and paper and write down what I give you. Well, Moses wrote it down, and thank God we have a translation of it, because I have met very few people in America that can read Hebrew. So we have a translation. Thank God for it. I was talking to Brother Jean-Claude, and he does translating. Oh, my. To me, that would be the most difficult thing in the world, is to translate it so it would be correct and yet readable in the other language. Well, God has given him a gift. That's it. Here in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter, chapter 11, and verse 10, we read these words. Keep in mind, I'm going to send you rain. That's one of the blessings, spiritual blessings, that God gives to us, is he sends us spiritual rain. Now he says here, for the land, whither thou goest, in to possess it. They're not quite into Canaan. In fact, it's going to be a while yet. But he says, this is what it's going to be like. For the land whither thou goest in to possess it is not as the land of Egypt. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My goodness. Isn't it great to know that the land where the Lord's going to take us is not like the land we're in? The land the Lord is going to take us is not like where we are? He said, it's not going to be like Egypt. Now, what was Egypt like? Let's read on. From whence ye came, where thou sowest thy seed, and waterest with thy foot, as a garden of herbs. Now that word foot carries with it the idea of a footwheel. It can also mean dragging your foot to open up ditches. Now, I don't know about you, but I used to have to irrigate with ditches. That's how we irrigated our garden. We didn't have sprinkler systems then. I don't even know if they were invented. But it was with a water wheel. Now, I've seen pictures of water wheels where people are there on a water wheel and with their feet they're raising this water from one level to another level so it can go out in the field and irrigate it. God said, when you get to where I'm taking you, you're not going to be like in Egypt because down in Egypt you had to work and work and work and the work was never done if you were going to eat. You are going to work on a water wheel. You're going to carry this water down through the ditches with your feet. This is your labor. What does God say when you enter into the promised land? He goes on in verse 11, But the land whither you go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys, and drinketh water of the rain of heaven. Now, who has control over the rain? Almighty God. And he sends it down instead of us sending it up. He said, over there in Egypt, it was all work. Over there in Palestine, I'm going to send the rain down and irrigate the land, and it will be the early and the latter rain at the right time. 
My friends, when we come to the church, when God opens our eyes and we get to see Christ as our Redeemer, when we're born again and we get to enjoy the rich blessings of Christ, we find that the blessings flow down to us. It is not our work going up to Him. It's His blessings coming down to us. It is the sweet rain of heaven. It is every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. We have the blessings of Christ. And when we go to the book of Ephesians chapter 1, we read some of those wonderful blessings that we have in Christ Jesus, and that is how He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, and how He has worked out redemption perfectly perfectly, and he left nothing to us because we can't do it. It's we're unable. And so the Redeemer actually redeems. The irrigator actually sends the water. We have no control over the rain. Oh, scientists have tried, but they just can't copy it. So he said, Back there in Leviticus chapter 26, he said there in verse 4, I'll give you rain in due season. When do you need blessings from God? In due season. Had a man come to me and say, Brother Norm, I just don't think I have dying grace. And I says, are you dying? He says, no. I says, you don't need it. In due season. We need blessings every day. And in due season, God gives them to us. He gives them according to his sovereign, eternal purpose. He has never left out his blessings to his people. David said, I was old and now I was young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. The word of God is always available to God's people. He can, we can read it and years later, those verses come to us. We can be reading, and we read a passage of Scripture we thought we'd read a dozen times, and a verse pops off the, ver- of the w- a Word of God, and we say, I've never seen it, but I'm going to claim it right now. God has sent His rain in due season. He sent His blessing in every blessing. We learn more about Christ as we go through the Scriptures. We are reminded as preachers stand before us and share with us the wonderful news of the Gospel of how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures and he was seen of a lot of people and Paul said and he was also seen of me I'm glad in these days there are some that can say he was also seen of me I was lost as a goose in religion and God in his mercy sent a man to Oregon from Kentucky who knew something. Never met a man like him. I never met a man that knew something. Came out there and preached the gospel and the first words out of my mouth to my wife, and I probably told you this before, but I said, I hate that man. And I was truthful about it. He turned up my apple cart. I was so mad at him, and then I found out I was mad at the postman. He was delivering the message from God, and I found out I was mad at God. God could have left me in that state, but by his mercy, he let me see Christ. Well, in the next verse of Scripture there, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 26, 
a wonderful verse of scripture, and you're threshing. A lot of young people today don't even know what it means to be threshing. <laughs> used to go out and watch those threshing machines. Used to ride on a threshing machine. Used to get all that chaff all over you. Dirt. But I'd reach down in that bin as that grain was coming out of the header, and you'd blow out the bugs and the rest of the chaff and pop it in your mouth and chew it up, and there was no better food in this world. Threshing. It says right here, and your threshing shall reach unto the vintage. Now, that's grapes in their maturity, and they were a few eaten, but most were turned into wine. And the vintage shall reach unto the sowing time, and ye shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. In this passage of Scripture, we find that the Holy Spirit, through Moses, the preacher of righteousness, we read that about Noah, and I think it could have been said about uh, Moses too, is a preacher of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. If you think for a moment by offering this sacrifice you're going to gain righteousness, you're greatly mistaken. It's just a picture of the one who is our righteousness, a lamb without spot and blemish. He is the only one, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, kept God's law perfectly. From eternity, the righteous one, the Lord Jesus, and he is gracious enough to impute that righteousness to his people, and God counts it as our righteousness, and our sin was imputed to him, and God counts it as his sin. He laid down his life, a ransom for many. Let's look at this next verse here in verse 5, and you're threshing. It talks about abundance. This talks about abundance. There's just so much planting and gathering and planting and gathering that it's just one season right after another that there's always something growing and always something to be harvested and always something to be planted. And it's just a continuous, continuous. There is no downtime. And that's what we find about the grace of God, that there is no downtime with the grace of God. He never relinquishes his sovereign grace for his people. It is always unmerited favor that he gives on the behalf of his people. His grace has been evident throughout the ages, and it was promised in eternity past. This grace, this free, this sovereign grace, it is overabundance. There is never any end to it. We never come to the completion of it. We never see the end of the planting of it, or the harvesting of it, or the vintage of it. It just continues on, and we delight and relish in it every day of our Christian life. We thank God that he protected us and gave us grace before we were born, provenient grace. I don't know how many times my brothers and I have said we should be dead. Most people feel the same way. The stupid things we did as kids. And if it wasn't for the provenient grace of God for his elect, we would have been dead. But that grace continues. Turn over with me to the book of Romans, chapter 5, if you would. Romans, chapter 5. 
as we think about this continuous planting, growing, threshing, vintage, picking grapes, making the wine. It's just a continuous. Out in Oregon, there where I live, it's dry land farming for most of everything. Thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of barley and wheat are grown. Dry land farming. They put it in in the fall, and hopefully there will be enough moisture during the winter to sprout that seed, and then a little rain a a little later so that it can grow and come to maturity. 6,000 acres of cherries, sweet cherries, are grown in that area, and every bit of it is dependent upon pumps pumping water out of the Columbia River up onto those trees so that they'll have cherries mature. Water is of a necessity. But you know, when that harvest takes place, when those cherries are picked, we've got to wait another year to get it going again. Our climate just will not do anything else. But here in the church, grace never ceases. There's never any end to it. There's no end to God's unmerited favor to us, the chiefest of sinners. In the book of Romans, chapter 5, there in verse 17, we read these words. Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Did you notice that abundance of grace? You can't run out. It is so much. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. There's no end to it. You can't wear it out. It's not worn thin. And then in that same chapter, verse 20, Moreover, the law entered that offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Would you turn back with me to the book of Acts? Keep your finger in Romans. We'll be back there in just a moment. But in the book of Acts, chapter 4, we read these words. I'll keep the law for you. I'll keep the Sabbath for you. I will be your object of worship, and I will give these things to you. I'll give you rain from heaven, not like you had down there in Egypt, where you had to go out there and work those water wheels and get sweaty and dirty and go home and get some rest, and the next day you came back and you had the job to do again. But I'll give you rain from heaven. I'll send it down to you in showers most pleasant, It will be a joy to you. How many enjoy standing out in a good shower? (laughs) I suppose us as kids enjoy it more than we do now because we will get our clothes wet. And then it says, your thrashing shall go to your vintage and your vintage to your planting and you're planting to your thrashing. It is a never-ending circle of grace. Acts chapter 4, and there in verse 33, 
We read, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. Isn't it a wonder when we are convinced by the Holy Spirit in salvation, in regeneration, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And why is that important? Because he completed his task. And why is that important that he completed his task? Because he promised he would. And our sin was at stake. If he did not complete his task, the Apostle Paul said, if he did not raise, we're yet in our sins. We're worse off than we were. But since he raised from the dead, just like he promised he would, he is successful in all that he set out to do. And beyond that, he ascended back to the Father and sits down at the right hand of the Father, declaring to us, the church, and to the Father too, I have been restored to the glory that I had with you before the world was. And the church says, hallelujah. It's been completed, finished, worked out, and we have abundant grace. We have abounding grace. And if you turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. In Romans chapter 11, we have here God's symbol of it all. How did he get it started? Uh, no. My goodness, that's... We can't understand God. Thank you. Thank God for his word that we can understand a little bit. If you know that much about the word of God, thank God. Don't say, I'm, I need more. No, thank him for what you have. And as we hear, it's revealed. And when it pleases God, he'll reveal some more. But here in Romans chapter 11, this wonderful chapter, when I was in Bible school down in Dallas, Texas for uh, one semester, I was told that Romans 9, 10, and 11 were parenthetical statements, and there's no need for us to read them today. That is just one way that lost people get around the sovereignty of God. These are wonderful chapters, glorious chapters. 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Here in the book of Romans, chapter 11, and there in verse 5, even so then at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. A remnant according to the election of grace. I had in my notes last night, and Brother Jean-Claude reminded me, I, I didn't get that far, but you know, there was only a few thousand of Israel, of Judah, that actually left under Cyrus's rule. There was a remnant according to the election of grace that went back, and the others were happy where they were. There was a remnant of the tribe of Judah that went back because through that tribe, we must have the Messiah. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. There's nothing said, as the book of Hebrews writes or gives us, nothing said about a priest coming out of Judah except this priest. 
And because there is a priest of the, of the tribe of Judah, there is ne- of necessity a new law. And that law is Christ. We read in the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, there's continuous harvest. We're basking in the harvest of grace daily, nightly, in the night seasons, in the daytime, when we're in church, when we're out of church, when we're fishing, when we're sitting around visiting, when we're having a good time with our friends. There is the abundance of grace. There is the, uh, the abundance of grace. My goodness, as we read here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24, it says, And if all prophecy, and there come in one that... Be- I want 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. Wherefore, show ye to them and before the churches well you know the worst thing I ever learned was that the pastor who brought me the gospel was a man. So let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. To the praise of the glory of His grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. The praise of the glory of his grace. That continuous threshing, continuous harvest, continuous vintage, continuous planting, we find here is the praise of the glory of his grace. Let us praise his grace for all the rich blessings that he has given us. And in that same chapter, verse 7, in whom ye have, we have redemption through the blood and forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. God just compounds His grace, overwhelmingly gives us of His grace. The rain coming down just drenches, the blessings of Christ just drenches to the bone. And the threshing and the planting and the vintage and the, all that goes on in the blessings of grace continuously go on. And you know how much we had to do with it? Not one thing. We just get to enjoy it. The richness of His grace. And you know the one who does all of that shares with us in the book of Matthew chapter 11. Come, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That heavy uh, labor and are heavy laden, if you look those up, you'll find they have to do with imposed labor. My goodness, we're imposed labor when it comes to religion. We're given all sorts of things, and the Lord says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, 
You've got all that nonsense on you. Come to me. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And I'll give you the sweet rain from heaven. And I'll give you the great, great riches of grace. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. My goodness, the sweet blessings of grace God gives to us. We realize we can't come without the grace of God, but we are called on to come. I remember Brother Henry in those messages would say, trust Christ and don't move a muscle. The preacher says, come forward, come here, do that. Trust Christ and don't move a muscle. 